They have oil and gas, limited partnerships, and consumer loans. There were a number of them. What happens for people that are making the two, three, four, five hundred thousand a year, 27 states, but it would be nice to, to have something gives more contribution room, more tax deductions and some benefits. With that, your contribution room, depending on your age, etc., instead of 27,000, could be 45 or 46 thousand dollars. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. And welcome back to How's My Financial Health Doc podcast. And today we're going to have our second part of the exempt market or private capital market discussion. And we have back with us Mr. Stephen Friedman, who's going to give us the lowdown on the different products that could exist in this private market. And what are the things that as retail investors we can invest in and what are the benefits and the drawbacks. So please help me welcome back Mr. Stephen Friedman to the show. So tell us a little bit about what kind of products uh, are sold in the, the EMDs. The types of products that are included in the exam space, a lot of them are you know, similar to what, what you see on the stock exchange, but uh, a lot are real estate type of products where if you want to invest in office buildings or plazas or apartment buildings, uh, there are some that are in the real estate realm, but not necessarily real estate. So for example, there are things called MIX or mortgage investment corporations or MIX for short, and that's what they are, mortgages. So it depends what region of Canada you're in. Uh, they would raise money from investors and loan it out in mortgages, either first mortgages, a lot of them are second mortgages. and but you'll see that they have, uh, like, depending on the loan to value, they'll try to keep it, you know, 60 to 75% depending. So those are things to look at uh, in case, what's the risk? What's the risk if real estate dropped? But if, if let's say in total loan to value is only 65% and real estate drops 10%, 20%, you, you should still be protected. But those are investments. And uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, where they raise money, and again, in the exempt market, there are REITs that maybe sometimes they specialize. I mean, some buy storage lockers, right? Storage lockers, like who would think of that business? But it's pretty simple. You put up uh, the in you know an industrial area, and uh, it's not very expensive, and you rent them out. It's residual income. But other things that financing business, like they have dental funds, they raise money to go buy dental practices and to buy you know, one and five and 10 and 20 and 50 dental practices and you're sharing uh, money uh, based on that. One company we, you know, we deal with, they 
uh, they'll buy up company, they raise money from investors and keep buying companies that do very simple things, right? Like uh, the government has regulations that all any building, commercial building, office building, their LO have to be checked to make sure they're in proper working order. You know, whatever, whatever the time period is, if it's once a year, twice a year or more, a company has to come out, do it, sign off on it. Their fire alarm system have to be checked in commercial buildings, right? So this company gets the contracts for that, the gas, you know, to make sure there are no gas leaks. And the government rightfully so makes, uh, has companies come out to do that. So, so there are funds for that as well. And they also pay the same eight or 9% to investors They have oil and gas limited partnerships and consumer loans. There are a number of them. We, you know, we could talk, uh, if you want, I can give you a few examples of them. So give me maybe three quick examples of uh, the products that maybe you have dealt with before. Because of, I guess, the audience that you have, one thing that they should consider. So one thing I do, uh, we do with our, our wealthier clients, we make them aware of something called a personal pension plan. And really that is, it's like an RSP, but for wealthier people. An RSP, you're allowed to contribute just over 27,000 this year. Every year goes up slightly, a thousand here or there. And that's great. You get a tax deduction for it. And you can use that money to invest in something, 27,000. But what happens for people that are making the two, three, four, 500,000 a year, 27 is nice, but it would be nice to, to have something gives more contribution room, more tax deductions and some benefits. So there's something like, uh, well, let's say in your case here, physicians, you know, it's not like they're working for the government and have a government pension or teachers or policemen. When you retire, you have a pension. The, the, tax, the tax act in Canada does allow for it. Just again, most people don't know about it. If you have a medical corporation, you're allowed to register a, a personal pension plan. A pension lawyer will do it for you. With that, your contribution room, depending on your age, et cetera, instead of 27,000, it could be 45 or $46,000. And then um, all these other tax benefits, so much more than RSP, and when you take the money out down the road after you retire, you could actually do income splitting and split the money with your spouse so that instead of you pulling money out every year and paying you know, a ton of tax on it, now it's split between two people, All, lots of advantages over an RSP. So that's something, but that's just opening the account and then you put your investments in. Anything that qualifies for an RSP qualifies for PPP and more. So let's maybe give the audience an example or three examples of products that maybe you've had on your shelf or you currently have on your shelf that talks about right. the spectrum of investments. One that, you know, people don't really think about, right? And you can get these in the private markets, consumer loans. So there's one I did six years ago. It paid investors nine and a quarter percent consumer loans. And I remember at the time, you know, a lot of clients would say, how's it possible to pay nine and a quarter? You know, sounds too good to be true. But I said, well, you know, when you go in a store, a lot of people want to buy, whether it's a TV set or sound system, or they want to buy whatever, something else. And the, and the store, they say, hey, okay, write us a check now for $2,500 or pay us $79 a month for the next few years. So there are people who, right? A lot of people just say, okay, 
I'm not buying anything until I have the cash to pay for it with discipline. Other people who say, okay, I want it now. Sure, I can afford 79 for this and $99 for that a month. And that's consumer. But, the, but you're paying 29.9%, right? And you don't notice it because it's $79. That's all you're thinking about. So when you're getting 29.9 and the company, you know, uses a lot of that money to run the business and then they have enough left over after, you know, what they need to pay investors nine and a quarter. And the funny thing is, well, after I explain it, then the same investor said, sounds too good to be true. Then they say, well, how come they only pay nine and a quarter? How come I'm not making more of the 29%? <laughs> so you can't really win, right? It's funny. <laughs> But that, but those are out there, anyway. And for you know, and for seventy nine dollars a month, people don't want to ruin their credit, right? So they're paying their set. It's not like oh, I have a three thousand dollar or five thousand dollar mortgage, and you know, if there's a pandemic, I can't pay it. Give us another example of a different product. Yeah, something that's totally different that probably your audience has never heard of: uh, uh, tax assisted uh, products, tax assisted investment. There's a product that attracts a lot of physicians in that high income and paying a ton of tax. So a lot of people are saying, okay, if I'm making 300,000 and 200,000 a year, I'm paying a hundred thousand of tax, 150. This is insane. Like I, I wish I could have some of that money towards and invest it for my future. So there is a tax assisted one where you get these, you can invest, for example, in real estate, and anyone who's ever been involved in real estate, no, it, it comes with lots of tax deductions. Somebody's managing the property for it, all the repairs, maintenance, they're all these big tax deductions. So there's one that's been around over 25 years, but it's attracted, I'd say about 65% or more of the clients happen to be physicians because they're in that category, making you know good money, paying wait, you know, a lot of tax. And after they're paying their tax, they have their monthly expenses. So they, they say, you know, I'd like, it would be nice if I got some of my tax back to save for my future and plan for my future. So this tax assisted one is, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not something you buy today, sell a year from now. It's something for you put away for later on, a longer term, someone with a long-term horizon, even into a retirement. So you, uh, the companies would give you, they know that, you know, show that you're earning money paying a lot of tax, they would set it up to say, you know what, you can become a partner in all this real estate, commercial properties like malls, plazas, apartment buildings, but don't, you don't have to give us half a million, a million dollars. What we'll do is this, the company loans you the money and they say, you know what, take as long as you want. Like normally when you buy a property, you know, you might amortize a mortgage over 10, 15, 20 years or more. They say, okay, we'll set up this loan a private loan, pay us off up to 20 years if you want, because it's a long-term plan for the investor. They say, and what happens is the cash flow from all the leases and everything help to pay down the loan. You get a tax deduction of depending how much you know you purchase, 100,000, 75,000, 200,000 a year, depending how much you purchase. And what happens is now all of a sudden you just say 50, 100, or thousand or more of tax that you you would be just be paying to CRA to Ottawa anyway, 
that you can use towards paying down your loan. So your loan gets paid off. Now you own half a million, million dollars, million and a half of real estate, income producing real estate. And every single month for the rest of your life, you have a check, depending on how much you, you know, you purchased. I don't know if you want 6,000 a month, 10,000 a month, 15,000 a month, like depending how much you do. But if you did not get involved in a program like that, you just be paying every year, your 100, 150,000 tax would be thrown away. 10 years go by, 15 years go by, and you have nothing to show for it. So that's something, uh, you know, people should consider too. Just, you know, you're gonna pay the tax anyway. Is there a better, is there something better I can do with that okay. $100,000? So tell us about a third example that uh, maybe most people have not heard about. You know, I, I mentioned a few before, like a dental fund or this industrial fund. Uh, other things out there are are things like everyone uh, probably has an alarm system in their house. And, you know, so who would think of this? But there's a company like uh, in the exempt market, right, that, that raises money. And what they'll do is, you know, they just go around. They have sale, sales forces in the cities that go to commercial buildings, but mainly residential, residential simple, especially in new areas. Someone's buying a house. They, they, most people put an alarm system in and they sign a five-year contract and the five years are up. People call and they, uh, the company calls and says, hey, you know, your, your five years is coming up and you know what, you, you've been a good client, you're qualified, we can upgrade it for free and just sign another five years. What I'm getting to is for that company, this is like ongoing residual income and you have whatever, you know, a few thousand clients and 5,000 clients and 20,000 clients and just keeps growing. But again, for the average person, you know, who, who would think, you know, oh, I'm going to make an investment in an alarm company. And what happens over time, that's, that's how a lot of the companies start in the exempt market. And they just start like that and they get thousands and tens of thousands of clients. And then one of the larger alarm companies, you know, that you see signs all over, you see on TV and they're on the public market, they come to them and say, you know what, we want to buy you out for $500 million because they're, they're making every month, they're getting all this money. And that's how the investors also make money. They get their, maybe they're getting 9% or 10% annually, but they get a share when it's uh, sold at the end of the day, right? they get a portion of the profits of that as well. And, and they're just things that, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of, but then when you think about it, you know what, that actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Everybody I know has an alarm system. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, there's definitely a lot of products and investment vehicles out there that most public do not know or understand. And this is a, this is a very good example, three good examples of very niche products that most people can't cannot access at least um, uh, easily. So what would you say are the opportunities of the alternative investment of private markets right now? A lot of people, again, are learning a little bit about it. But uh, the reason, let's say, endowment funds, hedge funds, and large institutions, you know, with hundreds of billions of dollars invest in private markets, private capital has a low correlation to volatile public markets and provides diversification into the alternative asset classes. So what that means is 
Like for example, back when the stock with the pandemic and the stock market crashed, it dropped out 30% or more. Okay, every stock went down, just the panic and nobody knew what was happening day to day. But in the private capital market, I mean, if, you, if somebody had an office building, the office building was there and you know, it's not valued every day. And if it was worth $10 million, give or take, it was worth around 10 million. And now the stock market, you know, came back up, you know, so the volatility is not there to freak people out day to day. Private capital can provide stable returns and growth. So there are things like a secured bond that pays eight and a quarter percent. It doesn't pay eight and a half. It'll never, it doesn't pay 8%. And it's just stable returns. So a portion of your portfolio where you say, you know what, I don't want to worry about the stock market go up and down. I eight and a quarter, I'm happy with that. I'll put some money there. And I just know every month I'm getting a check and, and I can put it in my RSP. A lot of these, most of them qualify for your RSP as well. So the other thing too is Canadian pension plans, they're invested in alternative investments because again, they're worried about the volatility uh, of risk adjusted returns, it's called, but it's, it's the returns. They're worried about the volatility from stocks because uh, they're especially concern also about low interest rates. So if you have money in a pension plan and they're supposed to be paying out, but the interest rates are half a percent, one percent, whatever, they have to put it in something else. If they know they can make eight and a quarter percent, they're there without the volatility. Institutional investors also play into the exempt market as well. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that. that's what all this fighting has been about over the years to say, why are the institutions allowed these great deals, but the average investor, oh, sorry, the Securities Commission says, no, it's just for the institutions. And then finally, finally, they've changed it so the public can participate in them as well, right? Yeah. And, and they're finding out, like, for example, JP Morgan, you know, they forecasted long-term returns from private equity it's going up and the returns from the traditional portfolio consisting of 60% stocks, 40% bonds are decreasing, right? Yeah. Because people are getting more involved in private capital. So let me just summarize why someone would want to consider the exempt market. One is diversification. As you've clearly shown, there are a lot of products and niche products out there that one cannot get in the public market. Two, potentially higher risk-adjusted returns. Three, uh, these are long-term investments. These are not something that you buy and sell tomorrow. So these are not for day traders. These are long-term investment. The one that you talked about, the tax-assisted one, that's definitely a long-term investment. And the one that I think is very important is it's not correlated to market volatility. And so even if the market crashes, these products that have their own investments do not necessarily crash with the market. And so there's some way to shelter a little bit from the craziness of the market. So those would be the reasons why someone would want to invest in a exempt market product. How about the risk? What are some of the risks that someone can face when they invest in the Uh, alternative market right so there are all different types of risks and as i mentioned there uh in the offering memorandum 
it's there's a whole section there pages it's called item eight like the eighth section of the om of every om uh, called risks and a lot of it is the first one is you know liquidity like it's for money that you can put away like for example if it's sitting in some commercial building and you're one of 100 investors they're not going to sell the building for you if you say oh you know what i changed my mind like a year or two down the road so most of them you're thinking in terms of give or take five years right so so that's the big thing is the liquidity it doesn't trade on a stock exchange so there are some uh, a number of them that have redemptions like kind of like people might have heard that word in mutual funds that you know if you buy a mutual fund but you want out next year you know you could pay a fee and you'll get out so some of them have that the the other thing too is we're dealing with companies some of them are you know 20 or 50 million dollars as opposed to billion dollar companies when you sit down with your advisor and you just say okay you know you're looking for companies that have good management with a good track record they've been around for a while and they've proven themselves that's where risk tolerance comes in when you sit with your exec market you know the dealing representative you'll check off the box do i want high risk low risk you know diversified diversification. Right. Yeah. so it's very important um for the investor to truly understand the offering of memorandum and the risk because as you mentioned it really ties into what's your time horizon, what's your risk tolerance and risk capacity. And because we are dealing with smaller companies in the 10, 20, 50 million uh, range, we're not talking about the Teslas and the Apples of the world where we're talking about billions. The risk of bankruptcy is a bit higher. And so this is definitely for people who truly understand the product. And so this this takes a lot of this takes a lot of understanding from the investor. Exactly. So that's why they want to sit with the advisor and just go over, okay, here's one or two or three companies. How long have they been in business? You know, who are the management? What's the experience of the management? Because there are a lot of, of these deals that have been around five years or, or 10 years, or that tax assist when it's been over 25 years they've been doing this from the early 90s. It's very simple formula. Let's go buy a bunch of real estate. Oh, do you want, you know, I mean, you've heard before where they say for little or no money down, but as real estate's boomed over the last few years, it's harder to do that. There's some companies that are wealthy enough that they could help that, especially if you're making, you know, two or three or 500,000 a year, you know, they can make it happen for you. Well, that's the other thing. If you're going to, be using 50, 100, 150,000 of tax savings. You've got the income that there's your 50 to 150,000 that's coming through anyway that you can use towards your long payment. So, yeah, so you're just looking again, management, track record, experience of the people involved. Good, good. I think those are very important um, aspects to look into and study before signing on that dotted line for sure. Yeah, because they're, they're companies, I mean, the public markets too, you've heard the horror stories, if you remember from years ago, Rex, right, the gold company. Yeah, Enron, WorldCom. Well, the other ones too, like like Nortel. Nortel was in every <laughs> every single mutual fund had some Nortel in it, right? And yes. they went out of business. So so you never know, just have to have your, your eyes on the prize, right? So you say like, Okay, here's the thing. I'll put my money here because I've checked it out. 
I know what the risks are. I, I'm putting it aside for right a few years, whatever. I'm not, this is not money I need tomorrow. And just, and you're getting, the other thing you get, your audited statements all the time. Certain companies have annual, you know, annual meetings with all the shareholders and you're getting reports. Some send them out semi-annually, some send them out quarterly. So just pay attention and, and you do something. Let's uh, move on to the next question. And I believe you alluded to this already. Uh, are these eligible for RRSP, TFSA? Uh, you mentioned PPP. What about IPP and RCA? The, I've thrown out a lot of alphabet soup uh, words <laughs> there. Yeah. And so hopefully the audience who's followed me on my podcast will understand what they are. And all these are through corporations. So for small businesses or uh, professional corporations and the TFSA and RSP are for individuals. So these products that are being sold, are they eligible for all of these uh, accounts? These are just to make it easy for the, for the clients. They're, they're just registered accounts, right? So registered plans that, you know, for your retirement savings, et cetera. Anyway, and to answer your question, every single one of the things I had mentioned, um, to qualify, except the one I'll mention here. Um, and, you know, maybe 20 years, it was different. 20 years ago, where people just, they're raising money and, and it's more expensive uh, to make it eligible for registered accounts. You know, you have to go to an accounting firm, get an opinion from a recognized accounting firm that yes, this meets all the criteria. The only one I mentioned that doesn't, of course, is that tax assisted one where if you're getting $150,000 tax deduction, you don't want that in your RSP, right? Because mm -hmm. you know you want to put it against your income that you're making this year. So that one intentionally is not set up, but but everything else uh, is that that I talked about, and most of them are. Your firm sells products that help people in the IPP and PPP accounts, correct? Well, what we've done is. In 1991, the Canadian government came out with this individual pension plan for people who, again, they don't work for the government and they don't have pension plans. But in 2012, uh, a tax lawyer uh, upgraded it, improved the IPP. So, you know, and uh, then he called it a, a PPP, a personal pension plan. And he actually won a uh, Queen Elizabeth. A jubilee gold medal for upgrading and improving retirement plans so we actually do the ppp we we don't do the ipp okay anymore because the ppp is upgraded but yes we do do that yes yes and Stephen, just to give a side note uh we will have a podcast with the creator of the ppp just so you know and so yeah. that we can tie all this up together in one nice podcast that's fantastic. Jean-Pierre Laporte is the smartest person and he's the one who won the gold medal for this. So yeah, that I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Keep me informed of the date. I want to listen to that podcast. I will definitely. So we will have a good discussion with the Mr. Laporte on PPP. So I want to maybe wrap this up quickly on maybe a final question. You know, it seems like these products are definitely not for everyone. They are for some individuals. 
who understands the market, who understands these products, who understands their own financial goals, objective, their time horizon, risk capacity, risk tolerance, and understand that these are long-term investment and not short-term investments, and that they could put it in different registered accounts. So it sounds really good, but if we don't know about it, how can we access it? So the next question I have for you and maybe to help our audience is, how can one search for someone like yourself? How can one search for a product that they want? So assuming that I like that tax-assisted product you were mentioning, how do I go and search for that? Or I want to invest in a, in a fund that invests in retirement homes and long-term care. How would I go about doing that? Do you have any suggestions? Private investments can be purchased through exempt market dealers, um, and they provide investors with the opportunity to participate in investment opportunities under applicable securities laws in Canada. So remember that it's, it's all regulated. Uh, they're subject to Canadian securities regulation, which outlines conditions that are required of the exempt market dealer, but the issuer of the investment and the investor. So there are laws for everybody to make sure, you know, this is for investor protection, that they update securities laws every few months. So, and again, investor protection is the number one objective of the securities regulators. So you would go to an exempt market dealer. I'd look for somebody who is experienced in it, who's been in the industry for a number of years. So at least they can compare. And when they sit with you, maybe diversify, you have X amount of dollars, put so much here, so much there. In fact, the securities laws state that as a guideline, you shouldn't put more than 10% of your liquid assets you know, into any one investment to make sure there's no over-concentration and for diversification. Right? They do have an association. As you mentioned, I used to be on the board of what was called the National Exempt Markets uh, Dealer Association, but they've merged. There are two large ones, Eastern Canada and Western Canada. They merged together and they're called the Private Capital Market Association. And they have a website and pretty well all the dealers are members with them. So that's something to check out as well. You know, looking for, but the first step is, yeah, you have to go through a registered dealer, an exempt yeah. market dealer. We did a very deep dive on this topic, and I could not find a better uh, person to have this deep dive with. It has been really enlightening for me and hopefully for our audience. And definitely your experience and expertise have come in really, really educational for us. Thank you very much for uh, joining the show. I hope you had a good time and hopefully this was not too boring for you trying to rehash 40 years of experience for us. Um, not at all, not at all. But one last thing, if I have one more minute here, I just wanted to, to mention, right? Um, we talk about diversification, etc. From a recent report, it was found that the more uncorrelated return streams within a portfolio, the less risky it is. So for example, you know, adding one uncorrelated asset to a portfolio may reduce your risk by 29%. Correct. So that, that's why investors hold both bonds and stocks. So take a step further. What if you had six uncorrelated assets? It says, you know, the studies show it could reduce your risk by nearly 60%. But so given record low bond yields, and extreme 
stock volatility, investors are increasingly diversifying into uncorrelated alternative investment. For example, the average institutional investor has a 52% allocation to alternatives. In contrast, the average retail, uh, like the average investor's allocation to alternative investments is only 5%. So if the institutions are making billions of dollars and half the money or maybe a little more is in alternatives and private capital investments, the average investor has only 5%. So there's a little bit of uh, catching up to do there. Yes, well, there's definitely a lot of education to provide first right. uh, for us to understand this. Thank you for coming in today to enlighten us on this topic. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.